Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online, it's the absolute headquarters for the NBA playoffs this year. Updated odds, latest trends, bracket contests, team matchups, you name it. You look at that NBA playoff bracket, it's all about matchups, and why not get in on the action with your bet today with Bet Online? 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. B L E A V to get that bonus. It's all at betonline.ag or your mobile device. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. You know, folks, the weather is heating up and so are the stories coming out of the sports world, coming off the NFL Draft, PGA Championship, Horse Racing's Triple Crown, MLB, and the playoff scene in the NHL and in the NBA. Well, I got to tell you, ever wonder how to get into sports journalism? Well, I started my career at St. Bonaventure University long before the online degrees were a thing. But with their new online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism, you'll learn how to find and talk about the most compelling stories, no matter the sport, all from the comfort of home. An advisory committee of journalism school alums shape the innovative program, and courses are taught by experienced professors and include master classes led by industry experts. And as an SBU graduate, you join a network of fellow Bonnies, including my good friends, the New York Post's Mike Baccaro and ESPN's Raina Banks. The online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism builds strong skills and ethical foundations for successful careers. And the coursework emphasizes the importance of multimedia reporting and incisive storytelling. Program graduates are prepared to tell stories at the intersection of sports, gender, and race. Take the next step today in your sports journalism career by contacting an enrollment advisor at sbujournalism.com. That's sbujournalism.com. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by Stanley Law Offices. Stanley Law Offices, together, they'll work to get you the maximum reward. And I also want to thank our great friends over at Rosie's Corner, Brewerton Ace Hardware, and Welch & Company Jewelers. Shop the showcase today at welchjewelers.com. That's welchjewelers.com. They've got an unbelievable array of uh, uh, amazing jewelry. It's it's watches, it's bracelets, it's a whole heck of a lot of stuff that is going to make you happy on a daily basis and your loved one happy. Remember, we've got Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduation coming up. Shop the showcase, grab some jewelry for that loved one at welchjewelers.com. And thank you to friends of the platform as well, the Swan, Whitaker, and Alonzo families, and Bob Lindsley and Daryl Aber. Thrilled to bring on to the program my next guest. He is the author of the brand new book, Road to Nowhere, the early 1990s collapse and rebuild of New York City baseball, available now online where books are sold and your nearby bookstores, Yanks and Mets and everything in between in the Big Apple. You gotta go get this read. It is amazing cover to cover. Chris Donnelly is the author and he joins us now on the ML Sports Platter brought to you by the Allen Angus Pub and Camilla's Golf Club. Chris, welcome aboard, my man. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. So this book is the early 90s collapse and then the rebuild of NYC baseball with the Yanks and the Mets. When did it get to the point collectively where it was just bottom barrel? You know, was there a moment? Was it a couple month period of time? Was it a player that maybe was at the center of it. When did it really, really fall? And then when did it really, really rise? When when were those moments where it kind of did the 180 type of a thing? Sure. So I think 
really the the bottoming out can I wouldn't point to one specific moment, but but really the 1991 and 1992 seasons. The Yankees had been uh, bad for a couple of years. They bottomed out in 1990. They weren't much better in 1991. But what was somewhat surprising is that that's when the Mets started to fall apart. The, the dynasty that never was, even though they were competitive. In 1990, they finished in second place. And then in 91, they lost Daryl Strawberry, which uh, in theory, people were happy about. Um, but it never really they never really replaced him in the lineup. And everything that could go wrong in 1991 did go wrong. And then in 92, of course, you have the worst team that money could buy. And the Yankees, they, they were making moves. They were getting slightly better. But it still wasn't great baseball. And so really, those two seasons are among collectively i'm talking about both both teams or or in the case of the 40s 50s 30s among all three teams you really didn't have a season or two of such bad new york city baseball um possibly ever and certainly not in the modern age as those two years it's kind of funny right like the the 86 mets in that group with good and strawberry and and all the rest they they obviously own new york i mean i know the yankees won more games in the 80s than anybody but what does it matter when you don't do anything in the playoffs but the mets there's a lot of people who say and it's easy to say it it's harder to understand it well they should have won more well Sometimes you win a title, you get a couple of bad breaks along the way, and you don't become a mini dynasty or even a, a, a great dynasty, which the Yankees ended up being in the 90s when Gene Michael took over, when George was, was of course, uh, in the slammer for bringing up uh, you know dirt with Howard Spear on, on Dave Winfield. I'm just wondering, when you look at the parallels of the 80s Mets, which could have been, and the Yankees Mets, which were, or the Yankees, the 90s Yankees, which were, um... Could the Mets, if a couple little things broke their way, if Gooden and Straw had stayed clean, if they had not made certain trades, if they had not let people walk, whatever the case may be, could they have developed into the Yankees of the 90s? I mean, could, could that have happened? It's, I mean, right, obviously we'll never know. I think it's a little more complicated, though, because the Yankees had so much uh, twist of fate that went their way in the 90s. Um, and and there are things that you don't really know if they would have happened for the Mets in the eighties. So, for example, right, it, it's it's sort of easy to say if, if Doc and Daryl had stayed clean and, and and not gone the path they went down, but that that's a lot easier said than done, right? And sure. and the trades that the organization made, getting rid of Roger McDowell and Mookie Wilson, and I mean the list goes on and on and on of the players they got rid of and got very little in return. I mean the organization was dead set on essentially slowly dismantling that 86 championship team because all the things that made that team great, the ownership didn't really like. Um, and so they slowly dismantled. And so had they not done those things, it's sure, it's definitely possible. They were still great teams. They still went to the NLCS in 88 and missed the World Series really because of Oral Hershiser. Um, but it's not, it's not as easy, whereas the Yankees in the 90s, I mean, everything, literally almost everything went their way way you have to look at mariano rivera not being selected in the expansion draft in 1992 even though he was available the the marlins or the rockies each could have drafted him uh, and neither one did Uh, Derek jeter going in the sixth round when five teams passed on him andy pettit drafted by the yankees basically waits until the last day to sign with them and by pure coincidence the guy for the yankees who's trailing him happens to find him uh, and sign him to a contract. So it's just so many things went right for the Yankees to to create that dynasty. 
Whereas with the Mets, so many things went wrong, both in trying to get their dynasty and then when they were trying to fix it and put it back in the early 90s. I mean, essentially everything they did uh, was was wrong or did not work out. And that's not necessarily an indictment of the organization. It's just sort of amazing in how it all played out. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at the overall career with George Steinbrenner, obviously you can't argue with all the success. You can't argue with, you know, the purchase of the Yankees and the parking garage and Yankee Stadium and all that for, what was it, Eight and eight point eight million, I think. After all the right. all the dust had settled, it was far. It was under nine or ten million, and you know, part of George's tenure was terrible because he wanted the high priced old guy, and he wanted to you know get on the the main pages of the papers. Um, the other times, you sign Reggie, you sign Catfish, you win titles, you know, you fire and hire a million times Billy Martin, and all the battles that he had. But I, I'm convinced that the reason the '90s Yankees worked was because they had a front office that finally took over as real baseball people like Gene Michael and Bob Watson eventually of course and they won every trade I mean Eric Milton for Chuck Knobloch eventually right like they pick up a Wade Boggs they Roberto Kelly for Paul O'Neill you know they, they they traded certain guys they they knew the ceiling of a prospect and the floor of a prospect and because Gene was in there and and they went against George and, and Clyde King who was a Steinbrenner Goomba, and they kept Bernie, they kept Moe, they kept Pettit, they kept, uh, you know, Posada, they kept, uh, obviously, that, that kid Jeter, too. Um, but, you know, all of those things happened as well. In the mix, they got lucky with Tory. Who was the unsung Yankee guy, in your opinion, where it was the rebuild of New York City baseball for them? You know, somebody not named Jeter or Rivera. Was there an unsung guy somewhere along the way for you that really kind of gets missed? Yeah, I think there, are, I think there are a few folks, both on and off the field. I mean, you mentioned Gene Michael, and I know people talk about Stick Michael. I don't, I don't think he's ever really, truly got the recognition he deserves for taking over the Yankees, taking over as GM when Steinbrenner was banished, and rebuilding that team. I mean, Gene Michael was doing Moneyball before the A's were doing it, before it was actually a thing. And granted, he had the advantage of of having the money that these other teams did, but he was looking at things like on base percentage long before other folks were doing it. Uh, and and part of that led him to a player like, I would say, a Mike Stanley, yeah. right? a guy who was just a backup catcher in Texas. And the Yankees signed, and I write it in the book, and when the Yankees signed Mike Stanley, it, it mentioned about two or three sentences in the New York Times, and that was it. They didn't, Nobody else really cared. And he ends up being um, one of the best offensive catchers they've ever had um, for a period of time, his seasons in 93, 94, 95, he's an all-star. He's an offensive threat. He becomes so popular, and I think people know when he is not signed by the team after 1995 and they sign Joe Girardi, Girardi gets booed by fans at the Fan Festival on an opening day because he's not as uh, because he's not as offensive-driven as Mike Stanley. So I think it's guys like that that really, even other players like a, a Spike Gowan and some other guys who didn't have long Yankee careers, but really turned around the, the atmosphere of the clubhouse and were focused solely on winning, um, really did a lot to change the mood and the dynamic as well as the literal record of the Yankees in the uh, mid-90s. Yeah, I, I think Gene Michael, I mean, my gosh, I mean, you talk about accomplishment. I, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I do as an executive um, I, I mean, at the very least, he should be honored in Monument Park for, for what he has no doubt. done. And it, and it still resonates with the Yankees even to, 
to this day, and regardless of how they're playing last week or two, it still resonates what he did even 30 years later and what he created. There's no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. Uh, what do you hope people say about the book when, when they get done with it? Well, I, I, first of all, I hope they enjoy it. I hope it's something that they, as I like to say, I hope it's something that they want to keep picking up to read, that they don't feel they have to finish it just because they started it. Um, and I hope for, for fans, especially of my age, that it takes them back uh, to this time and to this era. And this is when I really first started watching baseball. And what I wanted to do here is I wanted to write a book that explained why the teams fell apart, why they started coming back. But I also wanted to write it from the point of view of a fan who had experienced all of this and to include things that you might not necessarily see in a book about this time period, moments and games that don't necessarily get remembered or written about. Uh, the, the fans running on the field when the Yankees played Boston in 93 and the game being delayed, and the Yankees coming back and winning that game, uh, the Mel Hall home run against Boston in 91, even though obviously he's, he's his trouble since then um and just certain things about the Mets that you might not remember the, the Rico Bronya coming up and just wreaking havoc offensively when he was first brought up in 94 so I really want people to you know hopefully learn something but also hopefully enjoy it and have uh, have it take them back uh, really to the time I first fell in love with baseball Awesome. Yeah, I, I think that people are going to really enjoy this one. Again, it's Road to Nowhere, the early 1990s collapse and rebuild of New York City baseball. The author is Chris Donnelly, and he's on the ML Sports Platter here with us, all brought to you by Burn Dairy and Stanley Law Offices. The cover is awesome. I mean, it's like this split look. You got a couple of players, Road to Nowhere, the skyline up top, you know, Shea at the bottom. The Yanks are on the road somewhere with Boggs there. Uh, how did you decide on the cover? I always love asking authors that. Sure. Well, I want to give full credit to the staff at University of Nebraska Press, my publisher, uh, for coming up with this look and this feel. And obviously, we discussed some of the pictures that would go on the front. But I think that uh, I think the image of, of Bob Bonilla, you look, you like him, hate him, think he did well, think he didn't do well. I, I, fewer players sort of speak to the early 90s Mets as well as Bonilla does involved in every I shouldn't say every but most controversies and I think people forget that he really did put up great numbers with the Mets in the early 90s very solid numbers that get often overlooked because of all the controversy and then you have a guy like Wade Boggs who, who I love because Boggs' signing with the Yankees was not it was controversial internally there were people who didn't want him on the team thought he was washed up thought he might not mesh well with Don Mattingly and he had had a terrible year in Boston as career year uh, his entire career actually and he comes to the Yankees this former Red Sox and he hits over 300 again and he becomes a spark in the clubhouse and he just he really sort of rises from from what some people thought would be the ashes of his career and I think as most fans remember ends up riding the horse around Yankee Stadium which is it would have been impossible to fathom in 1990 or 1992 uh, when he was still with the Red Sox how about some thoughts on, uh, you know, the game now? Uh, a lot of people frustrated with it. I've been frustrated with it. I don't watch anywhere near the amount of baseball. I'm not glued to highlights as much anymore. I've cut down on my box score digging. I just, I, I do still love it. I, I, I want it to get back to what we had, but I just don't know if that's possible. Rob Manfred, all the changes, the bigger bases, the ghost runner, uh, the nonsense. I, I will say I hate, I, I hate all the changes basically except for the pitch clock. 
that's the only thing I really love because not only is it speeding things up, but it doesn't really affect the competition that much. I mean, if you if you take a minute and a half, two minutes to itch your whatever and grab your batting gloves and look up at the sky and look at the hot babe in the front row, and it, you know, like we got to speed these games up. And, and I know people are worried about the playoffs because, oh, you're not going to get the Otani-Trout World Baseball Classic thing. Well, if the players don't adjust to this this damn thing by October, I don't know what to say. They're professionals. That's the only change I like. I hate everything else. I hate the analytics. Where are you at on the game? So uh, I don't. I don't necessarily mind. Well, I, I would put it this way. I mean, I, the changes are what they are. Uh, I, I have no issue with the pitch clock. I have no issue with the bigger bases. Um, if it encourages more stolen bases, I think that's great. I personally, I have a philosophical issue with banning the shift, but but generally speaking, I'm, I mean, it is what it is. I, I don't necessarily care one way or another. I don't think it's going to dramatically increase batting averages in, in a manner that people think it will. I think it will help, but not too dramatically. Um, the, the runner on second base in extra innings is something I will despise until my dying day. <laughs> so bad. But, 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 oh. it's, but it's here. Horrible. Um, but I, I think it's it's... I mean, it's it's an uh, I don't want to say unfortunate, but right, but for people like us who came up watching a different sort of game, uh, I think it sort of is what it is until there is a less reliance on analytics. And I don't want to sound like you know, some crotchety old fan who's just back in my day kind of person, because analytics obviously are helpful and they show you things that you wouldn't know just from watching the game, and and people wouldn't be using them if they didn't work. Up, right, but the three true outcomes have made the game, to to a degree, less interesting. Uh, I'm not saying that sacrifice bunts are the most exciting thing to watch, but I mean, part of the beauty of baseball was the strategy of it, it was the thinking that went through it, and the idea that every single pitch, something different is happening, and you have to pay attention, and you have to know the difference between a slider and a split finger, and all these things. I think that. Uh, until there is a shift away from that. And I think someday it will happen to a degree. It might not be a year from now, five years from now. Um, until we have you know, starting pitchers going more than five innings. Right? I mean, my, my thing has always been 15 innings, 15 strikeouts in one game by one pitcher is exciting. And I think a lot of people think that's exciting. 15 strikeouts by four pitchers in one game is not exciting. So you know, until we get back to that, and I don't know if we ever will, yeah, I think it'll be tough for folks like us to adjust um, I'm not sure these changes are for us, right? I think they're for a different generation, and, and we'll see how they play out. Yeah, I, I mean, the shift, I, I don't have a problem with a shift because you you should be able to play defense any way you want in sports. It's about the, I, yeah, it's, I agree. It's yeah. about the adjustment. Oh, wow, look at this. They're all to one side. Well, hello, let's drop down a bunt. Ever hear of a bunt, people? Ever hear of a slap hit down third? I mean, I swear, if Tony Gwynn were playing in this, in this day and age, some of these other guys would be able to poke the ball that way. They'd have a thousand, fifteen hundred doubles in their career. They would. I mean, it's it's so stupid. It's like I live in Central New York. I've covered SU basketball forever. The two-three zone. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Usually in March it does because people don't prepare for it during the regular season, and they can't. You know, it's just this big amoeba of defenders and all that. Well, during the regular season, how do you adjust? You hit it to the top of the key. You kick it out to your guys on the wings, and you shoot. And if the zone isn't working, then throw in a different defense. Maybe now they'll actually have one because Jim Beheim's not there anymore. But 
that that's what I when I think about the shift, I think about defenses and adjusting the defenses, move the chess piece, and then have them move their defense back in the field. So I blame more the analytic thing and the basics of baseball that's missing uh, in terms of using the shift and all the rest. The final question I have for you is this: Yankees haven't won a World Series since two thousand nine. Mets haven't won it since nineteen eighty six. And the Mets have more recently knocked on the door. Both teams spend a, just a bundle of money. Obviously, the Mets are in the $350 million category. The Yankees are somewhere near 250 Who wins the World Series next? Who wins the World Series first? <laughs> that, that is a great and, I would say, highly loaded question. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I, look, I think there was a hope this year that we would see a Subway Series. I'm not really sure that's going to be the case. No way. The Yankees, the Yankees have been decimated by injuries and, and even a non-injured club might just not have what it takes to get there. Um, well, and the GM, the GM's a moron too. That's the other problem. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, um, and the Mets, I see, yeah, see the thing with the Mets is that they have had opportunities over the last 20 years to reclaim New York city. Exactly. They had that chance in 06, 07, 08. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't work out. They mm-hmm. had that chance in 14 or 15. It didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And they have that opportunity now. I guess the problem is that history as an indicator would say they're not. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sidestep this one because I'm, I have, I admittedly am a Yankee fan. <laughs> so if I, I answer this question, I'm pissing off some population uh, of my friends or my readers. So I'll leave it at, I guess we'll see. All right. Well, enough of, uh, of, of, of that. I, I tell you what, this book is so good. And uh, it's just been a treat to have you on, Chris. Chris Donnelly is the author of this brand new book. Go get it. Major bookstores and online where books are sold. Road to Nowhere, the early 1990s collapse and rebuild of New York City baseball. Mets, Yanks, and everything in between. Thanks a lot, Chris. Congratulations, my man. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.